Hello, everyone. Welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University and also your host for this program. So currently, we're in an era that's been dubbed the Great Resignation, um, where some student affairs professionals are leaving higher education for jobs in business and for profit organizations that aren't embedded in colleges and universities, but rather are higher education adjacent. Today, we'll talk with some soon-to-be graduates who have started working for higher ed adjacent organizations. Our guests are Clemson graduate students. In less than two weeks, I could just call you Clemson graduates. So by the time this airs, you will have the letters after your name and all the stuff. So, um, but our guests today are Olivia Battinelli, Frederick Evans, Mariah Jones, and Simone Richardson. Welcome, everyone. Would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourselves? And if you just want to, at this point, talk about if you'll share your name, where you did your undergrad, since we know where you did your grad education, um, where you did your undergrad and what your major was. And if you want to share what your graduate assistantship is slash was in. And then finally, just to get to know you a little bit, what are some things you're currently reading, watching, or listening to? And Olivia, if you wouldn't mind starting us off, that would be great. Sounds good. Thanks, Michelle. Hi, everybody. My name is Olivia Batnelli. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I went to Ryder University in New Jersey, and my major was in communication studies. And my assistantship at Clemson, I was an academic advisor in the Department of Management in the College of Business, a long-winded title, uh, specifically working with supply chain and operations management students. And something I'm currently reading and watching. I love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Ted Lasso, so I'm bouncing between both of those TV shows. And now that things are starting to slow down a little bit and I get to read for pleasure, um, I'm reading The Midnight Library. So I'm really, really excited about that, having some more time to do those things. Awesome. Thanks so much, Liv. Fred, how about you? Hello, hello. My name is Frederick Evans, or Fred Evans. Um, I attended Elon University, where I majored in history. Um, throughout my graduate assistantship positions, I've had two. Um, I started my first year with Fraternity Sorority Housing, um, and this year I work in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement as a GA for retention programs. Um, and what I am listening to, Future and Wale just dropped album, albums today, so that's been on spin all morning long. So that's what I'm listening to. Awesome. Mariah, what's up in your world? Hi, everyone. My name is Mariah Jones. Um, I graduated from The Ohio State University with a bachelor's in sociology. Um, when I was a grad assistant, I was in the cooperative education program housed out of the Center for Career and Professional Development. Um, and I'm currently reading Is This It by Rachel Jones. And it's about making life transitions as a 20-something. So very relevant. <laughs> Excellent. And Simone. Hi, 
everyone. My name is Simone Richardson. She, her, hers pronouns. I did my undergrad at Towson University and my major was family science um, and my minor was in communication studies, similar to Olivia. Um, my graduate assistantship when I was at Clemson was uh, I was a pre-health advisor for all of the students who had aspirations to go to medical school, dentistry school, all of those things in the College of Science. And in terms of what I am watching, I just started um, Orange is the New Black, and I know it's been out for a really long time, and I'm super late, but I really love it. And I don't know if anyone knows the song um, Too Little Too Late by JoJo, super old song, but I've had it on repeat on my 30 minute commute to work for the past like two weeks, and I don't know what's going on with me, but yeah, that's everything in my world. <laughs> Do you tend to run late on your commute? Is that like the connection or? Well, I actually have pushed my hours back so that I don't have to hit kind of that like DC Richmond traffic on my way here. So I usually get to work around 10. Very smart. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you, everyone. I really wanted to hear about your backgrounds um, just to show it's not like you were on a single track and it naturally, of course, this is where you would have found yourselves looking for jobs after graduation. So I think that's important to highlight. Um, another question that I have for you before we kind of get into the content of today's podcast and Frederick, if you don't mind starting, I, we always talk about how student affairs and higher education is a small world and I think it would be great if each of you could highlight a mentor or a few mentors, um, just because I think listeners might, it, it might click with them. Oh, I know that person too, or they had an influence on my experience. So if you would each kind of go around and talk about some mentors or inspirations that you've had in, or, or not necessarily in higher ed and student affairs. So I'll stop. Yeah, I've had, been fortunate to have a lot of mentors. I have the kind of mentors that some of them will tell me the things I need to hear and make me feel good about myself, but I also have those mentors that I hang up the phone. I can't stand them, won't talk to them for like the next month. But um, specifically um, at Clemson, the, one of the first people that comes to mind is Matthew Kirk. Um, he was somebody I had a practicum with him in Tiger Alliance in the spring, and he was just somebody um, I never um, ignored him or stopped talking to him. He was somebody that would give me the real, hype me up, make me feel good. Um, was certainly always in my corner. I had a lot of folks in undergrad from Elon, um, Dr. Randy Williams, um, Brandon Bell, some folks from Elon, people that were also in my corner as well. I would argue all of our professors were mentors of mine. Michelle, we've had many conversations. Tony, all, all, all of you all have been people that I've had in my corner um, supporting me uh, throughout my experience. And even people that I was talking to about this transition that I made right now, uh, they were certainly supportive of that. Great. How about you, Mariah? Um, I definitely want to give a shout out to Dr. Paris Carter. Um, he was one of my mentors when I was at Howard University. I kind of started university there and then ended up transferring to Ohio State. Um, and I just made a lot of transitions throughout undergrad. It was a really crazy journey. And I feel like all the mentors that I had kept me sane. Um, and Dr. Carter is a big reason why I decided to go into higher ed and why I decided to do this master's program. So shout out to him. <laughs> He's great. Cool. Simone. 
Yeah, so thinking about my time at Towson, I was actually fortunate enough to have two mentors that had gone through this exact program at Clemson, um, one being Brooks Artist, and she was my Nuff mentor. Um, and so she was amazing just in helping me like sift through like what is the graduate search when you want to do higher ed. And um, I'm really grateful for her in that. And then Ashley Huff just telling me like all things Clemson. She's very like Rah Rah Clemson University. And so I needed that too, just to get me kind of excited about my journey. So I'm happy that I had both of them. And then um, also Dr. Kiwana Perryman, she just worked with me to talk to, to me about, you know, like what I need kind of like in this field to keep myself sane in terms of balance and like make sure that you're going for the right reasons and all of those things. Um, and then at Clemson, I definitely echo what Fred said about um, our faculty just being a super supportive. Michelle, you specifically have helped me significantly in my job search kind of like after my time in, in grad school. Um, and then like Deontay Brown, I met him at Clemson and he just is everything and so much more that you would want in a mentor. So I'm forever thankful to him as well. Well, it's perfect that you mentioned him. I'm actually doing a podcast episode with him next week. So I'll, I'll let him know that you dropped his name. Yeah, Thanks. I can't wait to listen to that. Beautiful. And Olivia, what about you? Well, I'm definitely going to give a, a big shout out to my writer family. Um, I wouldn't have even found student affairs or ended up, I guess, where I am today without them. So Dr. Leanna Fenneberg, Nick Barbati, and Christine Melhorn. Christine was the one who really showed me what student affairs was. So giving a special shout out to them. And then also to Jackie Palmer, who was a graduate of our program as well at Clemson and a fellow writer alum with me, such an amazing resource and mentor to me. Um, and then echoing everything that my friends are saying on this call, our faculty were so pivotal in my experience and our experience. So Michelle, thank you so much. Best advisor ever, Dr. Awesome and Dr. Tony Coffin, really for just like also knowing everybody and their mother in this field, connecting you to anyone you could ever imagine. So big shout out to the two of you. And then finally, I would say at Clemson slash throughout my firm and experience, um, Dr. Jason Cassidy has really been vital in this experience, an amazing mentor, supervisor, and I'm lucky to call him a friend as well. So. Well, I think we can wrap this up. You've said nice things about me and that's all I ever care about. So great episode, everyone. I'm just kidding. But thank you for the kind words. It really, um, it's easy and enjoyable to advise excellent people and engage with excellent people. So you all have, have made it easier. And I, I think I might've said this recently to you, but um, with very little drama, at least from what I had to see. So with such a big cohort, um, for listeners, there were 44 students in this graduating cohort. I was bracing myself for something a little bit different. So, um, but thank you again. Thanks for letting us know kind of some of those key players in your lives. Well, so let's talk about this whole work thing. Um, if you wouldn't mind, and at this point, kind of go in whatever order you want, if you'll share where you're working and when you started, um, and then we'll just kind of explore from there. So whoever would like to start. 
I'll go. Um, I am working at Ernst Young, which is an accounting um, consulting firm, and I'm working out of their uh, Raleigh office. And I began last Monday, this Monday, excuse me, April 25th. Awesome. I'll go next, just because Fred and I are doing similar positions. Also a campus recruiter at Ernst & Young, one of the big four. Um, and I'm going to be based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I also started on Monday. So one week down of the corporate lifestyle here. <laughs> so exciting. Similar jobs and the same start date, which is crazy. <laughs> um, I, well, this is Simone. I am working at TU Incorporated and I am a student success advisor. Um, and to give a little to you background, um, TU is a large corporation that um, assists institutions um, kind of sending manpower out to them to help um, advise and support students um, when the systems aren't necessarily in place for certain online programming. So I'm over the UC Davis MBA program and that is my student population. Very good. Hey. <laughs> oh, and I started, oh my gosh, sorry, Mariah. I forgot to say my start date. I started March 21st. Awesome. Mariah here. Um, so I'm a diversity technical sourcer at Twitch, which is a streaming company owned by Amazon. So I'm over in big tech um, and I specifically recruit software developers, uh, mostly focusing on early career talent. Um, and I started back in January of 2022. Excellent. So we know where you are now, you know, journey back with me a couple of years when you started the program, where did you imagine yourselves going? Um, was this even on your radar at that point? If you were going to be in student affairs, what functional areas did you think you might work in? Um, and then we'll sort of chart the, the path from A to B. Yeah, I don't mind going first. Um, it's so strange to say now that I'm here, but in a weird way, I knew I was going to end up here all along, which is just even saying it out of my mouth sounds so weird. My sister kind of accidentally found out. Um, and when she was telling me about what she was doing for work, I was like, it sounds like you work in student affairs. And she was like, I mean, I guess kind of. And I'm like, what in the world am I going off and getting this degree for for two years when you work at a company just right out of undergrad? So that was interesting that we were talking about it. And I was like, that's exactly where I want to be. I want to be working with students directly, almost like cutting that institution part out of it and just being able to provide like student support with resources um, and being able to work kind of from anywhere in the country. So um, I'm happy that I had that connection in her because I would have never known about to you. I think even when I was job searching, it was never anything that came across my search. Like if I wouldn't have searched for it, it didn't kind of come to me. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for that. Awesome. Oh, so I can go next. Um, my journey, I thought coming into grad school, I knew I, I didn't want to go all the way to the top, be a vice president. I didn't think I really wanted to be a dean of students. That's just too much attention for me, um, too much, just, just not it for me. But I had interest in housing, um, fraternity sorority life, as well as just mentoring retention kind of program. So those were my, like, my main three kind of coming in, and that certainly evolved. Um, I spent a year working in housing 
and learned that that was not the place for me to be. Um, and now I was able to come over here and, and, and do the work of retention and, and mentoring. And um, I think the good thing is, is that I'm able to do this work, but I'm able to, in a way, continue that within the work that I'm doing now as a recruiter. Um, just looks different, different populations in some regards, but still able to work with students at a closer, um, intimate level. I can go next. Um, I definitely did not know where I was going to end up when I started grad school. I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. I thought I was just going to use the time to explore. I mean, I kind of had some ideas of what would be nice, but wasn't set on anything. Um, I knew during my second semester in the program that campus recruiting was going to be where I was going to end up at. I just didn't know where. Um, I just kind of, through my assistantship working with the Career Center, wanted to see what the corporate side of campus recruiting looked like because I was on the institutional side. Um, I did an internship over the summer, loved it, felt totally in love. Um, as far as Twitch or big tech, like the specific industry, that literally wasn't even on my radar until like November. And I started in January and kind of this job kind of just kind of happened on me and I was applying anywhere to be a campus recruiter, so. Great. And then I, it's funny you asked this question, Michelle, because I was just looking up on my computer when you sent us our messages to our future selves from last week, but we wrote in like the beginning of the program, which definitely was a tearjerker. So uh, I wrote at the end of it, go find another university and make my mark there. And I think now that I read that, I feel like that does fuel and feed into what I'm doing as a campus recruiter. Again, to Fred's point, it's just going to look differently, but I definitely had expected when I started this and then still probably within that first year of, I'm probably going to do orientation. I'm going to feel out the field a little bit, maybe something with conduct. And then just through some conversations with trusted mentors and friends and faculty is kind of how I decided, okay, maybe I should take this, this new jump. But reading that letter really helped me keep me grounded and say, yes, I think I made the, the right decision here. So. Great. Um, and some of you have spoken to this already. Uh, well, I, I guess maybe just Mariah mentioned it, but when did you actively start searching and, just to qualify it, this has been such a different year with the job search process in the program. Um, but when when did you begin sort of more actively engaging in the process? You might have been casually looking or paying attention, but when was it, okay, now I'm going to sort of dig in and really get going on it? I'll start for fun in like December, right around Christmas time and the holiday season. I was just looking at things that were coming up on my LinkedIn and submitting um, resumes and cover letters just to like corporate companies. And they all had recruiting in the title or, or something along the lines of facilitator. And I heard absolutely nothing. So I will be honest, I got pretty discouraged and kind of came back, wanted to finish out the last semester strong. I didn't, for me personally, I just didn't want to start any earlier until like the end of April, just because of how many crazy things were going on. Um, so I probably got things moving along the middle end of February. And then it was hit the ground running during, during spring break was just a busy, busy time of interviews and emails and, and bouncing around. So that was the timeline for me. 
kind of in the same vein, just I resonate with Liv's statement of like feeling discouragement for a second there. I started taking my job search seriously. I guess I, so part of me wants to say that it was at the start of fall semester, but like, that's a lie. It was not, it was definitely somewhere around the middle. And I was like, look, Simone, you have plans to be um, on your way um, sometime soon. So you're going to need to secure a job, girl. So you have money. (laughs) And I felt kind of that, like almost panic when I had submitted a few applications and like not heard um, anything back or like got those emails that were like, oh, sorry, we're going in another direction. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, And then I remember over Christmas break, submitting like 31 applications, just like all in the span of like one weekend. Um, Shout out to higher ed jobs for making it so easy just to be like pop, pop, pop. Um, But also to, um, I think just knowing that I really wanted to start my new path, but not necessarily know like exactly what I wanted to do, even though I had to you in my mind the entire time, I got kind of desperate in that feeling of like, well, at this point now, I just want a job. So like whoever's hiring in the Baltimore area, let me know, like, here I come. Um, But yeah, I was not hearing anything back. And then funny enough, like everything kind of came like a flood. And then I just had all of these like interviews for like schools I didn't want to work at. (laughs) I felt bad um, kind of going through the motions of some things, but then this finally worked out um, soon enough after that. Right. I think my journey was a little different because I was trying to think and articulate as y'all were talking, and I don't mean this to come out any, any kind of way, so please don't take it that way, but I didn't really have a search in this. Um, my search was when higher education and finding roles in student affairs, this position, which I think we'll talk about down the road about how we got connected. Um, it was the application was sent to me and suggested to apply. So I didn't, I didn't know how to search. And I don't even think I had the energy to, to search in the first place. I mean, that's, that sounds so bad, but I think that's just a reality. I think my thing was, if this had worked out, this step outside of student affairs worked out great. If not, I'm going to continue searching. I was all over higher ed jobs.com in the fall. Like I had no intention. I didn't want to leave the program. I didn't want to leave any kind of early. I wanted to stay in my GA. So I wasn't wanting to leave early, but my whole thing was if people wanted me, they would hire me and just wait for me to graduate and and happen. So um, there there were some other opportunities that I had within student affairs, but ultimately I I chose, I chose this path, Uh, but I just didn't truly have a search, a search search with this role outside of student affairs. So um, I kind of partway through the third semester of the program in the fall, I was just looking for different internships for the spring. Um, I wanted something that was going to be kind of close to campus recruiting so that I could get some more experience. Um, And I remember getting very far with the company and they ended up not being able to make it work where they could have me work part time while I finished up the program. Um, And I felt so discouraged. And then Michelle and I actually had a conversation about making full time work work, like make that a reality for me. Um, and so I'd say that's the point when I started actually getting serious about the job search. Um, once I realized that it, it, I could work full-time while I did my last semester, um, that I'd say that was probably around the October area. And then I ended up being able to find a job within about a month or two. And I'll just say, I'm really glad none of you left the program because I just worry sometimes that it's tempting 
and you know getting a more life-sustaining paycheck is very appealing <laughs> uh but i'm i'm really proud that you stayed with it and all of you um finished the program so um i i don't think i have this question in the script but i was thinking as you were talking i'm curious if any of you got any pushback about not staying on a college campus and working in more traditional higher ed um the whole idea for this podcast is there are so many of you and this isn't even everyone in your cohort who's doing higher ed adjacent work but um so that may not have been an issue, but I wonder whether it's from peers in the program or faculty or family or, you know, has anybody said, wait a minute, why, why are you going this route when either I thought you were going this other route or you've always said this is what you wanted to do and now this is a little bit different. Um, and yeah. it may be that none of you, have, oh, go ahead, Frederick, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It just because it like just happened like a week ago and it's not with any professional or anybody from the program it was my own father um and it's not it wasn't necessarily coming from a bad place i think as i get older i'm starting to understand how parents work how they operate the love and the care that's supposed to have but from his point of view i just spent two years in a master's of education student affairs program why all of a sudden are you just trying to switch what's the longevity what's that supposed to look like so truly he was the only one that ever had any kind of pushback and i think the way I was raised and that they, what they have always tried to instill to me is just the idea of you can always shoot for more. You can always push yourself. You can always um, go beyond. Don't shortchange yourself um, and your ability. And I was trying to explain to him when well, me taking this step out is explaining that is trying to see what my transferable skills are. So after that hour conversation of, of us going back and forth, he understood it wasn't he wasn't trying to push me away. He was just trying to get a better understanding of somebody that's not in any of these fields who was just trying to get a better understanding um, why I just spent all this time here just to go step out. Um, but for the most part, from other people, it was all um, understood. And it's, it's a trend now. It's why we're having this conversation in the first place. So people understood and, and respected the decision uh, that I had. Great. It was challenging um, at first, kind of thinking through what other opportunities could be out there that weren't directly um, in student affairs. But I just know like in my journey specifically was the, when I initially got to Clemson, I just feel like I experienced a lot of transition in my first year um, because of kind of a lot of my pro staff leaving at the time. And so I think that that kind of let me know and, um, one person left to go to another institution and then another person in my department um, went to a role that was specifically just kind of completely outside of student affairs. So I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, all of these folks are leaving for different opportunities, better opportunities, right? And so like, am I going to kind of just start like an entry level um, role at an institution where I know I'm going to be kind of heavily underpaid and I don't know what my role specifically is going to look like, but I'm sure I'll be doing a lot of additional things. Because when you think about your role, when you're connected to an institution, 
even if it's outside of your job description or outside of your department, people love to collab. People love to do things that are kind of like within your wheelhouse, but still additional responsibilities, right? That could leave you over hours or just not necessarily all funneled into kind of what you agreed to do when you sign your con signed your contract. And so like, I think I had to have a conversation with myself about like, your plan's probably going to derail, but as long as you're comfortable with that idea and know how to articulate that to someone else, if they do ask, like, didn't you just go get this degree? And I, I just said earlier, like my sister worked for this company um, with just a bachelor's degree. So I don't know if my parents are thinking silly, silly girl who just wasted two years, right? <laughs> um, maybe in their thought process, but that's not how I see it, right? Like, I think that I got a lot from this degree. And um, I learned things in the program and just about myself kind of moving 10 hours away from home um, and experiencing what graduate student life is like. Um, and all of that to me, like I wouldn't trade, like if I could go back, I would kind of do it all again in the same way. Awesome. I feel like I got overwhelming support from pretty much everyone around me. I think the pushback came mostly from myself and feeling like, oh, I couldn't handle student affairs. I'm not built to work in an institution. I think I had to work through a lot of that um, internally, but in terms of everyone else around me, my parents honestly still don't even understand what higher ed and student affairs is. So for them, they were just like, we're glad that you're gonna be making money. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then I, and everyone was like, oh, you're getting a, a master's degree. Who cares what it's in? You're a black woman and you're getting another degree we're happy you're setting you're you're making sure that the the people the the younger generations know understand that education is important so awesome i think i would say i've received overwhelming positive support but as with any new decision that's different than what you expected i definitely had friends and family just kind of ask like devil's advocate type of questions but nothing that made me ever feel like this was the wrong choice just things to think critically and make sure that i actually took the time to think about it and do my extra research but i will say you know i don't know if this is jumping ahead michelle but in our interview at least my interview with one of the interviewers at EY, they really respected that we were higher education professionals. The hiring manager was like, you have no idea. You are like our frontline workers. Like I'm comparing you to the healthcare workers in the pandemic. You are on the front lines of the students. And I just want to give you all that shout out and was just really appreciative of higher ed folks work, um, which made made me feel really good and feel like they value and respect kind of what our jobs in student affairs and higher education um, is like. So that was a big draw, like an eye-opening moment for me during that interview when we had that conversation. And then when I told people about it, they were like, yeah, that's really, that is really awesome that they even acknowledged it because they didn't have to, they didn't have to talk about it. So it made me feel valued that we are going to be an asset to all of us here on this call to our companies with this degree. Well, and, you know, to the point that was made earlier, just that they even know what student affairs is, that's, that's a plus. So before I go on to the next question, anybody want to add anything to that about um, the companies that you're working for or the interview process or anything? Yeah. 
they're watching who turned off their microphone and who turned on their microphone. So we got it. Mariah, you go, because I got to go first last time. <laughs> um, just with like the job hunt process, I definitely want to echo what Olivia was saying. It was so just encouraging to hear the hiring managers that I interviewed with saying, oh my goodness, you have a student affairs background. That's perfect. Um, like we really want someone who understands the institutional side, which is why it like originally got into corporate recruiting because there wasn't someone there who understood both sides. And so I wanted to kind of bridge that gap. And I think a lot of employers appreciated that I was there to bridge that gap. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I think too, just echoing both what Olivia and Mariah said, um, my supervisor has the same degree, um, but just got it from a different institution. So he saw the value in me as an applicant kind of in that same way. And I don't think that I necessarily would have gotten this job um, if I didn't have this degree um, because my role specifically is like very high touch with students and I'm their first point of contact as their student success advisor at the institution. And most of the students think that I work in California at the University of California, Davis, and I'm just there as their advisor. And I'm like, oh no, like I actually live in Maryland and I actually work for a company that partners with this. So I have to kind of go through that I'm not there at the university, but I'm still a resource to them in that way. So I'm happy that my, like, it to me felt like a perfect translation in terms of like what I've gotten from this degree to like moving forward in my role um, because I'm able to work with students in the way that I planned and envisioned all along. And I know, again, some of you have spoken to this next question, um, but how did you how did you find the companies that you're working for? I know, Frederick, you said it was outreach from someone else and Simone, your sister was already working there, so you were familiar. Um, but how, Liv, did you hear that Fred got outreach and you're like, I want to work there too? Or yeah, I'm imagining that's not quite how it happened, but how did you, how did you choose where you wanted to go and how did you find those organizations? That's kind of funny because it sort of is, but sort of is not. So um, long story short, I was, per, like I said, perusing LinkedIn for a while and I was cold calling a lot of individuals being like, hey, do you want to talk to me about your experience? And some people answered, some didn't. And I had done, I guess I didn't even realize I reached out to somebody who was a campus recruiter at Ernst & Young. And then after Fred and I talked about it, that's when I put the pieces together. So he helped me draft a message back to this guy. And then the two of us got connected. And then about mm, two to three weeks later, um, I was having lunch with Dr. Jason Cassidy and talking about, I don't know what I'm doing with my next phase in life. Can you help me? Can you direct me? And he put me in contact with a wonderful alum of our program too, Cameron Patterson. Um, she is amazing who plugged us together. We started chatting and then she really helped me through the, the process. So I know it was a similar outreach that Fred had as well. Um, but we just kind of got there in, in two different ways. So. Uh, I basically made LinkedIn my full-time job. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn and reaching out to people. I paid for it. 
Um, and I think this particular job, I found it because um, I kind of was following people. And so when folks would like or share things, it would show up on my feed. I used it like social media. And um, the hiring manager who brought me into Twitch was actually looking for a PhD recruiter. And he said uh, specifically in the LinkedIn post that higher ed experience was a plus. Um, and so that's how I found it. Well, and I, I appreciate you all sharing this because I tell people all the time that the skills you get are transferable anywhere. Um, it's nice to have that validated and affirmed by your experiences. Olivia, were you gonna say something? Did I cut you I, off? Go ahead. I was me. just about to say um, my kind of end before I got to where I was. Um, I kind of had this in the summer, this past summer I was doing an internship but kind of had this realization that I don't know if student affairs is for me. I don't know if I want to do higher ed, but major shout out. I don't know who the individual was, but in our program Facebook page, um, somebody made like an Excel sheet of people that have left student affairs and like were graduates of the program. I don't remember who that person was that did that, but I just saw that. And from summer until the fall, it was just a hustle of just reaching out to people, connecting with people, letting them connect with me with other people. And that's how Liv mentioned um, Cameron. That's how I got in contact with Cameron. And at the moment, at the time, it was a little early, um, but I passed my resume on to Cameron and she had reached back out to me in February. And I don't know, that follow-up, January, January into February, that follow-up spoke a lot of volumes. Did you remember this conversation? Um, I must have done something right and that, that you were able to follow up. So that's kind of what got me um, connected with that and the rest was what it was, so. Great. Well, okay, so you've all said that um, in some way or another, the organizations that you're working for have appreciated your education and your experiences and background. And I know a couple of you are just kind of a week in, so it might be too early to have much to respond to here, but how are you seeing your skills coming into play, either in things that are talked about in the onboarding process or work and um, experiences that you've actually had with, um, with students or colleagues or whoever else you're interacting with? I'll, I'll go first. Um, I have two things. One being an advisor in the College of Business. A lot of my students actually end up working at EY. So that has been pretty funny to be like, see you there, you know, like maybe we'll get to connect in a different way um, over at over at that company. But um, so that has been a really cool experience to have and like that insight already. But I would say with the onboarding, since obviously no expert by this is like my end of the week of the first week. Uh, we've had to do like a big orientation the past couple of days. It was 200 people started at the firm, which was a little overwhelming to be on a Zoom call with that many people. And then we were put into breakout rooms and this would range from anyone that had started at the company. Um, so any position you could possibly think of. And nobody was talking to each other. We were in a breakout room and we all were just looking at each other. And I felt like the student affairs professional in me to be like, okay, everybody, can everyone say their name and where they're from and what they're doing? And it felt like really weird, but I had to do it because I couldn't sit there in silence. So I was just like, okay, I'm so glad that we have those skills though, to be able to do that because I was sitting there a little uncomfortable being like, nobody's talking, nobody's saying anything. But then once we did it, it was totally good. So it was pretty funny. 
Awesome. For me also starting, I'm, I'm still learning and trying to figure that out, but I would just add on to that. On top of the training, I got my first like thick email of just one of my first tasks. I've got a, a program putting on by June 1st. And to see that it's already overwhelming just to see, cause I don't know, I haven't done this job. Like the training has just been company-wide, not my actual role. But I think what helped me in my graduate experience is just to be able to take a big situation like that, a big email like that, and be able just to break it down and one, trust myself that I'm here for a reason, I can do this. They wouldn't just give me this if I didn't know what I was doing. But two, just know that it may not be as deep as what the length of what it is. If you break it down piece by piece, and that's just problem solving, which is what I think we do every day in this role um, as we build relationships, as we um, handle different school to school functions. So I think that calmness of just not getting too overwhelmed has already prepared me um, just for my graduate experience alone. Great. I would say that my role has like two parts. It's like the corporate part that I have to do, but then also like the actual advising part um, when I'm with my students. Um, and so because I work for 2U, but they partner with UC Davis, the amount of platforms and things that I've had to learn um, just in my role, like I still feel so overwhelmed just as I'm learning one. Like Mariah, bless you for your techness because like, no, like it's just not me. Um, and I don't think it'll ever be me. And it's like, well, you silly girl, you work at a tech company. So gonna need you to get that together. But I'm kind of taking it kind of like Fred said, like piece by piece to learn and develop my own plan. But when I'm not on the phone with the student, I just feel like, okay, like, let me pull up this and this and this. But then like, when we get on the phone, I'm like, I'm just talking to you and it's a conversation like why I felt so overwhelmed to kind of like get to what I've been doing for the past two years in this master's program, which was talking with students and advising them is exactly what I'm doing now. There's just all these kind of pieces that kind of just comes with something that's higher ed adjacent because you're supporting students, but like there's also that corporate side that you have to know and understand and learn too, which I didn't think I was going to be working for a corporate company. So I think that that is something that I've had to kind of take as it's coming and try not to feel overwhelmed, but like, y'all just know that I do. <laughs> I think honestly, Simone, if this makes you feel any better, I am straight up with my candidates. I am not technical at all. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to take notes verbatim. And the hiring manager will understand what you just said. I don't. Um, and I love when my candidates explain it to me. It gives them an opportunity to showcase some soft skills uh, and show that they can break down these high-level concepts to, to a layperson. <laughs> so, um, but I think, honestly, that is a skill that I kind of developed from student affairs, the ability to just not be afraid of embarrassing yourself and being real with students um, and showing that kind of human side to you when you, you know, are down to the, to the university or the institution. And I feel like a lot of people when they interact with corporate America, they're like, oh, robots, you know, we have to be super professional and do this, 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 and that. And I think that warmness that I bring from student affairs is really helpful and it makes my candidates and honestly, the people, my colleagues that I work around, it makes everyone feel a little bit better and it makes them feel comfortable. And so um, I've, I've only seen that be a plus so far. Um, definitely those advocacy skills that I gained from student affairs, I use all the time. Um, we're constantly being told that we need to advocate for our candidates um, and for our clients. And so that's something I do a lot. Icebreakers, 
just like Olivia said, um, I am the queen of icebreakers on my sourcing team. Um, we actually have one that I use that is very controversial. And so every new person that joins the team, we ask them what their answer is to. It's like, um, how ripe, or when do you consider a banana to be ripe? That's our question. So um, everyone has to answer it as an initiation to our team. Um, and also the ability to thrive um, in ambiguity and also chaos. Um, I think I learned and kind of got that down in higher ed. And uh, it's really, really helpful when you're working in tech and everything moves at the speed of light. So. So I'm thinking of people who would be really drawn to this and one audience is you know students a year from now um who are well not even a year from now right so a few months from now who are starting their job searches what advice would you give to them either in terms of the how of doing a search that might include higher ed adjacent or and this builds on some of what you shared what to expect if you go that route and how it might um, use some of the same skills but other skills or how it might like on a personal sort of feeling level feel similar or ways that it might feel different what advice would you give to others um, considering this route in the future i got one that comes immediately to my mind and it's that higher ed resumes are completely different than resumes outside of our field. Mm -hmm. um, I, listen, if you send me a resume that's three pages and it's got your research on it, it's it's not going to work. Um, and so in cover letters, higher ed only does cover. I don't, don't send me a cover letter. I'm not reading it. So I have two things that I would think of. One, um, as you're connecting and thinking about getting into this field, as you connect with people that have made that jump, Sometimes just let student affairs professionals talk. People, we like to talk about ourselves. We like to talk about the work we're doing and it can be a lot and what they're saying may not always be applicable to you, but just, just let people talk because you, you never know like what you might get from the conversation. Ask the right questions. Um, you never know what kind of jewels and what, what things you might pick up from that conversation. Um, and, the, and the second thing I would say is that just don't offer that conversation as people are talking, take things with a grain of salt because um, I don't consider this was a part of my job search, but this was just a part of just talking to people. I mean, there, there were some folks that were telling me I, I wouldn't be qualified to do in the work that I'm doing right now. Um, and those, I think those folks didn't quite understand the background I was coming from. They hear grad student, they hear graduate assistant, don't understand that like this was a lot of work. This was a full-time job. The paycheck may have not reflected that, but this was a full-time job. So sometimes everybody may not necessarily understand what you're doing in your role, but just have that trust in yourself. And sometimes you just have to take things with a grain of salt. Yeah, I was going to say, Mariah, you you beat me to it with the resumes. I th have two separate ones because I was actively applying for both jobs in and outside of student affairs. And my like outside of student affairs, higher ed resume looked very different. So suggestions for that really go to the career center on campus for that because they can, they work with, you know, those businessy type resumes. And I got a lot of feedback and help on making it one page, but still highlighting all of my experiences, but still okay to have your two to three outside. But if you are applying to those, make sure you share that one, that one page resume. And then my other thing is, 
it's okay to not have an internship or a field experience or practicum, whatever it is outside of the field. Like you're not, not going to get the job because you didn't get to do something that was outside of student affairs during your experience at Clemson. I mean, I didn't, I had all my internships, you know, in-house either at Clemson or at Furman, all student life facing. So don't beat yourself up about if you don't get like another field experience that will kind of give you more of that idea. Is this right? Is this not for me? Um, I think through like educational conversations that we've all had on this call with people, that's where you really start to start to learn and understand kind of what you might be getting yourself into. So take up those opportunities because I can tell you right now, almost everybody that I reached out to and especially Clemson people, because, you know, our Clemson program is so amazing with these networks and this, this community and family, they want to talk to you and chances are they want to try to help you. Um, so that would be my biggest advice for that. I think mine would be just, to, I guess Fred said it a little bit, but in terms of taking things with a grain of salt for me, um, because you're in a higher ed program, a lot of the content that you're going to get towards the end, like in your spring semester, is people talking about job searching in higher ed, right? And that doesn't mean that those conversations aren't going to be applicable to you, but if like if you're thinking about potentially leaving the field, but really sift through those and find what is applicable to you, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that um, all of it will be. And I think too, a little bit letting go of that feeling of like, wow, like, am I potentially not going to work at an institution after just spending two years here. A few people said that that's a feeling that they had to let go of. Um, And I know personally for me, although I didn't feel it super heavily, um, it definitely did pop in my head every so often. And you want to go where you feel valued and where you feel cherished. And if, as you're going through your search, you kind of just find that, um, a school or an institution can offer that to you, then awesome. Then that might be your your plan or your route. But if you find that a company or a corporation or something outside of student affairs is just feels like a better fit, then you have to go with that, right? Because you're, you're going to make a decision or you should be making a decision, not based on kind of how you spent your last two years, but like how you want maybe your next five years to look. So, yeah. I got another one to add. Um, I've just seen this because I'm mean, obviously I've been working for almost five months outside of higher ed. And so a lot of people will reach out to me asking for tips, um, not only breaking out of higher ed, but breaking into tech. And I think the biggest thing that I would say is to focus on you and your skills, your transferable skills, and be able to effectively communicate what you've done in the past and why that's related and how that's setting you up to be successful in a new industry. Um, I think with leaving higher ed, especially right now, there's a lot of temptation to fall into that trap of complaining um, and just sounding like, I'm just so desperate to get out of the field. I'll take anything. Take your time. What's yours is going to come to you. And just, you know, when you get onto an interview, don't, don't trauma dump onto someone and say, oh, you know, higher ed has just been awful to me. I'm burnt out. I don't get paid enough. Like just focus on you and your skills it'll be okay. You'll get, you'll get the job. It'll come to you. Uh, that, that's definitely the biggest thing um, is stay away from the expat groups. <laughs> Everyone is just Debbie Downer um, and just, it just, it'll be okay. Mariah, you said that, not me. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> I was going to say it could be a little bit of a, uh, 
a stress uh, craziness when you open it up. There's definitely, if you do join it, there's things that are helpful of, you know, finding jobs and stuff, but a lot of people use that as a place to complain. And also you'll see like institutions that mean a lot to you, or they might not mean a lot to you. And it, it might make you a little upset. So beware. Yeah. What and is that? <laughs> the expat groups on Facebook, yeah, give me some... it's a bunch of very upset, bitter people. <laughs> <laughs> I needed some context. I was like, whoa, I missed out on all the juice. <laughs> But there's also too, okay, the, something that's so real is golden handcuffs. Um, when you're leaving higher ed, if that's what you choose to do, do not be enamored by the first job that you see that's going to pay you a ton of money. Again, like what's yours will come to you. Take your time to really find a company that has a good culture that you feel like you would fit in well at. Um, because if you just take the first job or even the second job that offers you a ton of money, there's a reason why a lot of companies are throwing cash at people, especially in tech. Um, and so take that, take that into consideration because you could honestly get yourself into a position where you're feeling the same way you did in higher, if that's why you chose to leave, you know, because you're burnt out and there's no work-life balance. You're going to get that at a lot of the major tech companies too. Um, and what happens is when they throw all this cash at you and you're like, I made $40,000 a year in higher ed. Now I can make six figures. Then you get used to this lifestyle and you're burnt out and you can't leave because when you try to leave, you know, maybe that industry or, or that particular company, then you're like, oh, normal people make $80,000 a year in the same position. I was making 120. I can't leave and find a place that works for me because I'm so used to this lifestyle I've built now. So just be careful and take your time. I'd say is a very big suggestion. That's excellent. All right. Well, so now I want to ask you the flip side of the question, right? So instead of speaking to students or people who might be looking, uh, uh, full-time employees who might be looking to make the transition out, what suggestion do you have for higher ed and probably more specifically student affairs? Um, and I'm thinking of not just what, what should student affairs do that for-profit is doing, but, you know, programs. What should we be doing to help people prepare for this as a, a legitimate and a more common path? Um, you know, Simone, your comment about when we talked about the job search, and I don't know what it was like in all of your classes, but I don't think I've once brought up anything about if you're going outside of higher ed. Um, I will now, you know, mainly as a result of this conversation. But what, what are recommendations that you would make? And again, I know this, if we had the same conversation a year from now, it might be a whole different package of answers and insights, but just as you're thinking about how can, um, I just get very frustrated with the, we have to keep things the way they've always been. And that happens all the time. And I think this presents an opportunity it doesn't have to be seen as a negative sort of repercussion that's totally driven by dollars. So what can, whether it's supervisors, whether it's faculty, um, what advice do you have? Uh, 
I would say to do what you're doing right now, Michelle, and be open. I know you're doing this for the podcast, but be open to the conversation and hearing from people that have left the field um, that you've taught, that you know, you know the information that they hold, but now you want to see the information that they've picked up along the way and just be open to those conversations because I haven't seen it and I haven't experienced it yet, but something just kind of tells me that, you know, kind of when you leave the field, bye, see you later. You don't, you don't want to be here. So, you know, maybe that's not necessarily the case. Maybe that's thinking in a negative way, but staying in contact with those people, inviting them to classes, inviting them just not even in classes, but maybe even in professional spaces, divisional meetings, just to hear about their experiences. What have they learned? What have been some transferable things that should be taught in the classroom and not and not even just the students, but even just what should be taught to continue uplifting the professionals that are on the staff at the university um, in the first place. So that's what I would go with that. Awesome. Michelle, you already do a really good job with this because those panels that we have had with people outside of higher ed, those have been really great, especially for folks like us who have our you know ears raised a little bit and we want to hear some outside perspectives. Um, and I know that all those people were really well, they were welcoming to answer questions. So that was helpful. I think something that you, or just in general, like faculty members could think about is I forget someone also from our program a few years ago made like a spreadsheet of words in higher ed and then what those words look like in corporate settings. And that was really interesting because I can't, I mean, I can't think of like a great example right now, but it was literally jargon that we use here in student affairs versus what it looks like in corporate and whether that be when you're sifting through job descriptions. Oh, in student affairs, that's what this means. But in corporate, it basically means the same thing. And whether that's just you making some resources for those who are interested in exploring outside the field, I think that would be really helpful because I definitely was looking through that and being like, oh, I didn't even realize that that's what it was. Or the job positions are different, but they basically mean the same thing. So that could be something that could just get added on Canvas or whatever when you give some extra resources and tools to students. That's great. Um, I'm not necessarily sure how to do this, you know, in practice, like the, the execution part of it, but um, just kind of maybe helping the rest of our cohort understand that it's fine if some, some people just aren't meant to stay in student affairs, so that we all kind of feel like we're not, like, I don't want to feel like I'm burning bridges with my cohort, and that's what I kind of felt like when I was leaving, that like, oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm the one lone wolf or something and, and I don't really appreciate what they do. And it's like, I don't know, it just, it felt weird. Like my, my relationships with people felt weird after I decided to leave. Um, and I'm still going to need a lot of those connections that I've made in the program in my, my job now and in the future, because again, like a lot of us are, we work with students in our roles. And so we're going to be on college campuses for a long time. And so it's going to be really helpful for us to still have that network of, student affairs professionals so that we can do better for our company like that that was the thing right the building building the bridges I have inside knowledge into these institutions because I have people from my cohort who work there and so just getting everybody on the same page that not everybody's meant to be in student affairs and it's okay and we still need to keep those relationships going I think that was said uh, really well, Mariah. Um, I also, Fred beat me to my point. So in a vein to not repeat it, I'll just echo Fred. Awesome. All right, well, um, I think, let me double check here. 
But yeah, I, those are the last of my scripted questions. Are there other things you want to comment on? Are there things I should have asked you that we haven't talked about or anything you want to reiterate? I'll give you a second if there's anything. I think the only thing I'm going to add is that there's so many opportunities out there because it sounds like all of us on this call are really doing different things. So that's really amazing. The, just the different opportunities that are available. So just not being afraid to try something. And if you don't like it doing a shift, like that's also very much okay. And as a way of life. So I would just add that. I think it's really cool. Like literally just sitting here looking at all of our tiles. I'm like, that's really cool that Simone is doing advising to students and like really cool that Mariah is like doing recruiter and diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And then even Fred and I have very different roles, but are on the same team. So it's just pretty cool that we all have the same degree, but can use our strengths in different ways. So all right. Yeah. I um there was a student, this has been a few years ago, and they were graduating and I, I don't remember the student, I don't remember what they were going to do, but I do know it was outside of higher ed, and they did get a lot of pushback. Um, you know, this was pre-pandemic, pre a lot of things that put us where we are now, but there were some people who were really like, they shouldn't do that. And that's, that's wrong. And you need to stay in higher ed. And my thought is the more people with student affairs degrees who go and do other things, the more people will understand the value of student affairs degrees and the work that's done in higher education and on campuses. So, um, yeah, I just think with your knowledge and your, um, unique intersection of skills, it'll be fascinating to see kind of what's your career trajectories look like. So, but I do appreciate, because what I heard Liv say um, a couple of questions ago is that you're all gonna come and do a panel for me in the fall and talk about your experiences. So thank you in advance for that. I appreciate it. Um, we'll go ahead and, and wrap up at this point, uh, but I wanna make sure that I acknowledge, first of all, much congratulations again to all of you, not just for the new position, but for earning the degree. Um, I have tremendous gratitude for you for making time for this right now, because like I said, I, I have just decided there's no slow time. It's just different types of busy, busy time. Um, but I know this time right now is busy on the academic side, the work side and the personal side. So. Um, the fact that you were to, uh, able to give me a little bit of time to have this conversation, it's really a gift for me and for the listeners. Um, again, we're, if you are listening, we're recording this the week before graduation. Um, and you all are the legitimate COVID cohort. You know, you came in the midst of not knowing, everybody wonders what they got themselves into in grad school. But you all, that was off the charts in terms of what is this thing and how is this going to work? So, again, congratulations and, and gratitude to you. I enjoy having the chance to learn with you today and from all of you. Today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you, as always, by SAXA, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, this show would not be possible without producer Jen Lowe. Jen is working in a higher ed adjacent role now too. She just started recently. So 
Congratulations, Jen, on your position as a technology launch consultant at EAB Education Administration Programs. Um, maybe we'll do a one-on-one -on -one follow up episode with Jen and she can um, validate and triangulate the data that you provided today. Um, but thanks always for your support and collaboration, Jen. So I would like to leave you with a quote. And today's quote is from Booker T. Washington, who wrote, nothing ever comes to one that is worth having except as the result of hard work. So to my hardworking guests, one more time, thank you. My name is Michelle Botcher. It has been a pleasure to host this episode and have a beautiful day.